Welcome back to Since Blue Loud Radio. This is Brandon. I'm your host, and uh, it's been a while. Um, so there's a lot to catch up on and a lot to unpack. Uh, you know, it's during this time of the pandemic, there's been obviously a lot going on in, in the world, but, uh, you know, in, including in the entertainment world. So, you know, um, obviously with movies coming back uh, into theaters and theaters slowly starting to open back up, uh, we're starting to get a little bit of news now. And, um, you know, obviously there's some other large events that have happened, uh, in, including the DC fandom. So I will definitely be speaking about uh, today, uh, definitely going to be going over my analytical uh, review of the Batman teaser trailer. So really looking forward to uh, uh, providing my sort of insight as a uh, diehard Batman fan and a graphic novel collector and and what I saw in this teaser trailer. But uh, before I break down all that and get into that, uh, also wanted to uh, just thank anybody who still uh, subscribed. You know, obviously it's been, you know, quite a while. It's been a few months uh, since we've been on here. Um, and, uh, also want to make the announcement that mountain Carl, uh, you know, uh, obviously both he and I have been, uh, uh, busy with our own personal lives and, and professionally with our own careers outside of, uh, you know, doing this, uh, this fun hobby of a podcast, but, uh, mountain Carl has, uh, stepped down from being, uh, the co-host of sensibly loud radio. Uh, so sad times, uh, for sure, but I definitely wish, uh, mountain Carl, uh, you know, the, the most success uh, in his ventures and his pursuit of his uh, his personal life and his career. Um, we'll definitely uh, disclose a little bit more information on that in terms of his uh, fantastical journey um, that uh, that has basically taken him away from uh, from being here at the helm. But I do thank Carl for his his tenure and his time here. He's nothing but an absolute gentleman. I'm definitely going li- to miss his uh, patented Carl laugh. Uh, his insight uh, and his his uh, perspective on things, um, and he was one of the best co-hosts I could ever ask for. So, um, obviously, the format of this show is changing yet again. Um, so, you know, obviously, with uh, just how busy things have been for myself, um, I've also uh, gone through a a move, uh, moved into uh, uh, another um, you know new home um, on my own. Uh, no longer having roommates and all that fun stuff. So, uh, so given that it's taken me a little bit to kind of uh, put everything together and, and set this place up the way I want it. Um, also, to get it to where it's as uh, as quiet as possible without uh, you know having too much echo or, or too much background noise. Um, so now that everything is set up, and you know, obviously after this uh, Batman teaser trailer came out, it, it definitely kind of sparked some life into me and, and, um, you know, with work kind of taking over my life 24 seven, um, you know, it's, uh, during this Labor Day weekend, it's allowed me some time to kind of, uh, have some introspective, uh, thoughts and, and really kind of get back to doing what I enjoy to do. And, and this is definitely one of the, the things I've, uh, you know, got a lot of enjoyment out of, uh, over the past year or so in, in terms of just speaking about, um, you know, things in, in entertainment and, you know, hopefully speaking about things in a, uh, somewhat expert or, or very knowledgeable, um, perspective, uh, as well as, you know, try to be entertaining at the same time. So, um, you know, so I, I definitely thank anybody who's out there who's still listening. 
Um, again, you know, I, I, I'm not really, you know, looking to seek like a, a giant audience or anything like that, but uh, I just hope that anybody who does listen is, is still listening because they, uh, you know, appreciate the, the perspective and sort of the lens that, that I kind of speak through, um, in terms of, you know, the, the things that, that I, uh, observe or find fascinating. Um, so again, thanks again for, uh, for hanging on and, and, uh, enjoying the ride, uh, but again, you know, back from a long hiatus and, um, uh, you know, so going forward with this format, I'm just going to be on here speaking. Um, it's just going to be me. I might occasionally get, you know, a guest or two on here, um, to kind of guest host, uh, you know, may have J Mac, uh, sitting back in. Um, I know that he's looking at possibly developing a show, so might be more about that, uh, later on, but, uh, you know, so getting into it, um, we had a, uh, you know, DC fandom that happened. And of course, uh, during the, this whole pandemic, you know, this typically would have been something that would have been like a, um, something that would have been unveiled like at a comic con or something like that out in San Diego as they normally do, or LA, uh, where you have a, a massive audience kind of, um, all there and, and listening in and, and seeing, you know, whatever panel comes out, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, those types of things have always been a little bit, cheesy in my opinion you know they're always been a little too a little too much uh, in terms of having a, a moderator kind of hosting the panel and and uh you know everything else so uh with this it was a little bit different um i watched the majority of it uh and then matt reeves came on talking about the batman and kind of a holographic looking deck which was interesting but uh him speaking to his vision of the batman and uh, also speaking to how he's wanting to do the graphic novels justice, uh, but, you know, giving a little bit of insight in terms of, you know, setting up what, you know, we surprisingly got, which was the teaser trailer, uh, was that, you know, this is Batman early on in his career. Uh, again, you know, Robert Pattinson is is portraying Bruce Wayne and Batman. I've definitely shared my thoughts about that and how excited I am for that. Um, a lot of people unfairly look at Pattinson's, you know, career and, and they just automatically jump straight to Twilight, which is pretty ridiculous because, you know, if you look at what Christian Bale did with with uh, taking on the cow as Batman, um, you know, he had a very similar path. I mean, you look at Christian Bale was in the Newsies, right? So if uh, if the Newsies was such of a, a big phenomenon as, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Twilight series, I think uh, a lot of people have been like, oh, really, the guy from the Newsies, he's going to be Batman, you know, and again, this this goes back to all the way to, uh, you know, Heath Ledger as Joker, and then uh, Michael Keaton as Batman in 1989, when that was announced in 88, before they began production, you know, he was basically Beetlejuice, as well as uh, Mr. Mom, so a lot of people are like, Mr. Mom's going to be Batman, like, people just didn't see it, you know, they're like, well, he's not athletic he's not muscular he's not any of those things and then look what happened he ended up being one of the one of the greatest actors to take on the cow and and for a lot of people he's still one of the the greatest batman uh to ever be put the screen um a lot of people you ask who's their batman a lot of people still say michael keaton he's he's definitely up there for me as well um but as far as looking at the graphic novel and outside of the tim burton you know lens if you will in terms of uh, what a Tim Burton movie should look like, uh, and, as well as, you know, kind of what ended up being the dismal Batman Returns, where, you know, Batman kills a few people, um, which they kind of gloss over that, and then, uh, 
you know, a lot of other things that just felt more like a Tim Burton movie than a Batman movie. I mean, the penguin is some creature that lives in the sewers and is surrounded by some weird looking, uh, you know, triangle clown gang with uh, penguins and all this other stuff. It was it was very bizarre and, and definitely felt, you know, more like a Tim Burton film, you know, of, of a fantastical variety than anything that would be grounded or, or taken straight from the pages of uh, the Batman graphic novels. So anyways, without going uh, too far down the rabbit hole with that, you know, um, looking at Pattinson's career, you know, I, I've definitely followed it and have seen, you know, films that he's been in, such as, uh, you know, Metropolis and uh, Good Times, as well as The Lighthouse and, and a few other independent films that he's been in. And, you know, really seeing this guy really get into the roots of acting and, and really going deep down into the into the craft, you know, very much like we saw with Heath Ledger with films leading up to his portrayals, the, the Joker and the Dark Knight, you know, it's very similar with that. Um, or you could also say is very similar along the same lines of Christian Bale, you know. So since the Newsies, Christian Bale was also in a lot of different uh, independent films or, you know, films that weren't huge, you know, blockbuster tentpole type films, you know, uh, and, you know, some of those would be, you know, such as uh, American Psycho and uh, a few others that are kind of escaping my mind right now. But I I definitely had, had seen some brilliance in his acting going into what eventually would become, you know, his taking on the, the role in the cowl of Batman and Batman Begins. And uh, I think for him, you know, especially with American Psycho, you see him just constantly having, you know, living sort of a uh, duality life of being a businessman. And, and then, you know, behind the scenes at night, he's a murderer. He's a serial killer in a way. Um, and you see the psychotic uh, rage that's within him. I mean, it, it really had uh, a, a lot of range there. Uh, oh, the other movie I was trying to think of was uh, 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 Equilibrium. And so with Equilibrium, you know, that was a very different role in that it's a futuristic dystopian society where no one is, is allowed to feel or have feelings. So they they basically uh, inoculate themselves with a, a um, certain drug that they inject. And this, this basically just uh, allows, I guess, the dopamine levels to take over. So everybody's kind of like a robot and can't feel because, you know, feeling and all that is what leads to war and violence and all that. So, you know, he's kind of a um, law enforcement officer that goes after people that have that or people that can sense, you know, that have sensations. And so it's very not too dissimilar from like Nazi Germany and, um, you know, some other sci-fi uh, novels, you know, throughout the years, uh, like Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 451 and, and a few others of, you know, burning of literature and, and books and art and all, all that stuff. And eventually, of course, he ends up, uh, you know, going off of whatever that drug is, starts to feel and sense things. And of course, he has like, all sorts of martial arts and, 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 and he's just, you know, a tactical savant and uh, starts to, to go after whoever's heading up the society. But, you know, so that film came out in uh, 2000 and uh, or 2001, I believe, and it was delayed after 9-11. Um, a lot of people say it was very similar to The Matrix. But, you know, seeing films like that and then American Psycho after that and, you know, leading up to, into his role and I'm sure you know, with the, the casting auditions, there were probably several other actors that came in, but, but he was very well-rounded and, and just perfect because he was on that evolutionary course 
of becoming a, a really amazing actor. And, uh, and you see it throughout in, in Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. I felt like his portrayal of Batman and Batman Begins was definitely the most excellent portrayal. And then when you get into The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, his voice gets a little too over the top in the growling sort of Clint Eastwood uh, <laughs> type of voice uh, to the point where you can barely understand kind of what he's saying. And, you know, it's been kind of uh, mimicked and made fun of uh, over the years. And, you know, and even I've kind of laughed at it. But uh, but of course, you know, Batman is supposed to disguise his voice. Um, so, you know, the Nolan trilogy to me was kind of my my Batman. I, I did not think that any other... that I, I didn't think we'd get another opportunity going forward, you know, um, that would be anything close to the Batman from the graphic novels that I love and hold near and dear to my heart. You know, growing up, I was a huge Batman fan, of course, watching the Batman animated series, going into... You know, the animated series movie, The Mask of the Phantasm, which is also very dark and goes into some of his origins and, you know, the pain and suffering that he endures and and what leads him into, you know, um, becoming the sort of like the world's greatest detective as well as uh, just uh, putting him on this mission, on this on this course of uh, fighting crime and, and trying to make a difference and avenge, you know, his his parents death. Um, so, you know, over the years, as I got older, I started collecting a lot of Batman graphic novels and I have quite a big collection, um, of those graphic novels. I would say, you know, some of my top favorites would be the long Halloween, which, uh, basically takes place from one Halloween, uh, and takes place over the course of a year. So it starts on, on Halloween and, you know, on a night where someone gets, uh, savagely murdered, there's uh, clues left at the scene. Um, and you could tell that this becomes sort of like a serial killer and, um, and each month, uh, or each few months, there's, there's another new murder. Uh, Batman's on the case. He's trying to, um, get to the bottom of who it is, you know, so it's, it's very much a detective type of, uh, seven, you know, the film seven type of vibe. Um, and you could tell it's earlier on in his career, but it, it, the, the thing I really like about, you know, how Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, who, who, uh, you know, created the graphic novel, uh, series of the long Halloween. I, I really appreciated how they incorporated the rogues gallery without it being, uh, too much. Um, you know, sometimes if you have too many villains, you know, it can, it could be pretty crazy, but you know, the fact that it takes place in the course of a year, you definitely have freedom to, you know, each issue move around with that. And there's a different villain involved that Batman's having to interrogate and try to get more information and piece, you know, the clues of this puzzle together because the obvious answer isn't coming out. And there really isn't an obvious answer when you get to the end of it. Um, so, you know, what that's to me was one of uh, my favorites, you know, Batman Hush, Batman Year One. You see Batman in his very first year and uh, Batman Begins pulls pretty heavily, almost, uh, you know, almost scene by scene. There's a few scenes that are, uh, pretty much like, uh, exact one-to-one images from, uh, from that graphic novel. Um, but you really, uh, see in the beginning how corrupt Gotham is and how the, uh, police force, uh, city officials, and then the mafia family and everybody, you know, is working together in, in this very corrupt society, 
Um, and so that's why the Gotham citizens are suffering. And, and it's just uh, Gotham is just a place full of crime. And that's uh, essentially what Batman, you know, what, what Bruce Wayne sees before he becomes Batman and figures out what he's what he's to come and uh, become. And, and you see that a lot in, uh, you know, Batman Begins where. You know, he doesn't have the suit yet, but he's he's kind of like goes and introduces himself, you know, to Gordon and uh, and all that in his office. So there's a lot of good things that Nolan incorporated in his films. And, and it was the very first time we've seen a grounded storytelling of of Batman. And uh, but it was more like a, uh, you know, crime thriller type of of, uh, you know, trilogy. I mean, there still were fantastic elements throughout you know obviously but uh you know so it 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 was for at at the time you know from 2005 through 2012 that that was my Batman I'm like you know this is as as best as it it's it's ever gotten you know and and a lot of the the imagery you know such as uh, you know Batman uh interrogating Detective Flass who was the heavily bearded guy in Batman Begins and it was you know he's eating falafel and he zips him up and he's just, you know, interrogating him, just all pissed and it's dark and rainy, you know, stuff like that is like something we had never seen in any of the other films, especially with, you know, post Michael Keaton, where we had, um, you know, Val Kilmer and who was very robotic looking and, and then, um, you know, George Clooney, who (laughs) was not even Batman in my opinion. He was just a guy wearing a Batman costume and he was like, I'm Batman, you know? And, uh, there, there was no, vengeful thing it, it was probably as close to the campy 60s tv show as as it's ever been and then you know after after christian bale you know after the nolan trilogy ended i knew you know just like any other business and organization warner brothers was of course not going to waste too much time because you know we're in the essence and in, in, in the really kind of the peak of uh comic book films i mean Every comic book film was starting to make more and more money. I mean, it. it everybody just had an interest. And also, this was, you know, at the onset of Marvel coming out with, uh, eventually they'd be coming out with the Avengers film and uh, the very first one. And so DC and, and WB uh, definitely saw what, you know, Marvel uh, in, in all of their films and, and sort of their strategy of what they were doing. So obviously they wanted to keep up and they saw the momentum, and Marvel definitely took over in a big way. I, you know, all their films had a very serious tone, and um, I definitely enjoy a lot of the Marvel films. But you know, uh, and, and I love X Men and you know Spider Man and you know, all those characters growing up. But at the end of the day, I've always been more of a DC guy, uh, and especially because you know Batman was really the first uh, hero, if you will, that uh, I definitely latched onto, just because it's just. You know, this is just a guy, you know, he becomes the world's greatest detective. And, you know, obviously there's just there's a lot of uh, deep seated issues that he has, you know, and and struggling with the duality of of being Batman as well as, you know, trying to live a life of Bruce Lane Wayne. But, you know, you you come to find out that the true mask that he wears is is Bruce Wayne and his true identity is is Batman. So, you know, early on in his career, especially in you know, the long Halloween and kind of what you see here in the teaser trailer as well is just, you know, that it's, it's a, it's a constant struggle, that duality and that Batman basically is taking over himself and, uh, and his vengeance. He's so full of it that, 
uh, it it could very well destroy him if he lets it go too far. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I really appreciated about the trilogy that was uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy was that, you know, it started from the very onset with Batman Begins of, you know, when he went to go uh, kill Joe Chill at his trial hearing. Joe Chill in the comics uh, also was the, the, the guy responsible for killing Bruce Wayne's parents, not the Joker, as, of course, you know, uh, Batman 89 uh, portrayed, which, again, completely fantasy. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he looks to shoot Joe Chill with a, a snub-nosed revolver, uh, decides not to, eventually ends up throwing it into the, the Gotham uh, River, Gotham Bay, and then, you know, runs away and, you know, starts to become, you know, acclimated to the uh, martial arts training and all that stuff uh, with the League of Shadows and, you know, the rest is history from there. But, you know, the main important thing is it, it really goes over how Batman is not uh, someone who kills. He does not believe in killing, does not believe in guns. And this was a very unfortunate departure as we saw going into uh, Zack Snyder's vision of Batman. Um, so, you know, WB again tried to keep up with the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, created, of course, the DC, you know, um, universe, so the DCU or DCEU. Um, and, you know, they, they had a few good films like Wonder Woman and, and Man of Steel. So everybody was kind of wondering what would happen with Batman. And uh, then it was announced that Ben Affleck would portray Batman. I, actually appreciate Ben Affleck and in, in his in his acting and and I like Affleck's uh you know um films that he's done as a, as a director such as Argo and uh you know of course the uh the uh film which is slipping my mind right now um that was filmed in in Boston um but uh you know excellent director great actor you know I, I enjoyed him and all sorts of films over the years, you know, some of all fears to, I mean, even back in the day with like chasing Amy to, uh, uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on, but him becoming Batman, I'm like, okay, well I can kind of see if it's going to be an older Batman, I can see him being a pretty decent Bruce Wayne. I don't know about Batman. And then eventually he put on a, a ton of muscle and, and bulked up and, uh, you know, they then went with sort of the look of Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, um, or The Dark Knight Returns, I believe is what it was. Uh, the graphic novel, I actually own it, but it's basically Batman comes out of retirement and he's got this big suit and he's really big and his uh, the emblem on his chest is, is really a kind of like fat Batman logo. So it looked like it was definitely taken out of those pages. Um, <clears throat> but I, you know, overall, I like the suit. I just... I just never liked the emblem on the chest and everything. And this suit also looked like it was made out of some sort of like, you know, steel tip nylon weaving or something like that. So, uh, you know, and whenever I went into the film of you know, Batman vs Superman, I definitely didn't have any, you know, my expectations always try to be low. And from the opening scene, you see like Batman leaving a crime scene. He's like crawling on the, on the uh, ceiling. And I was just like, this is... It's already starting to get me to kind of tune out of it because it's just Snyder a little bit too heavy with the CGI, you know. And and I I like what what Zack Snyder did with you know Watchmen and uh, I believe he also directed Three Hundred back in uh, you know the late two thousands. 
And, you know, I, I appreciate what Zack Snyder does, but, you know, whenever you're looking at a fantastical storytelling from a graphic novel, then, you know, he's probably going to be your guy. But it's very heavy CGI involvement, CGI green screen, blue screen type things. So, you know, a lot of these just look like, you know, very vivid sort of scenery and, and not really something that would be, you know, uh, similar to what I would want from a Batman storytelling perspective, which is it's it's filmed in a city. You feel the dirt. You see it. You you know, you, you can you can feel the rain falling down. You know, everything looks real and uh, nothing in his movies really look real to me. You know, the the lighting is a, is a bit too much. Uh, again, like I said, it's too vivid and over the top. But, you know, again, this is his storytelling of Batman. So, you know, going into it, I, I didn't. I didn't really like that film and uh, definitely did not like Justice League. But, you know, with uh, Batman vs. Superman, what I really uh, despised was the fact that Batman was just gunning people down and killing them. You know, and everybody goes back to the warehouse scene where, you know, Batman, you know, goes in. He's trying to, uh, you know, save uh, Clark Kent's mother who's held hostage there by, by a bunch of uh, goons. And the way he busts in and, and attacks multiple enemies, you know, at once, and it's very fluid motion. And, you know, it's very, I think it, it kind of, uh, you know, pulled at everybody's sort of heartstrings of what they, you know, have seen in some of the graphic novels as well as uh, the Batman Arkham games. Um, but again, you know, th- yeah, that was a cool part. But again, he's still, you know, how he saves her and lets the guy blow up with a, you know, frag grenade he gives them just all sorts of things are just completely wrong with that movie and wrong in that iteration of Batman who's just let you know the sort of vengeful uh feeling in his heart just take over to where he's at a point where he's later on his career and just doesn't give a shit anymore he's just like you know what screw it I'm just gonna kill everybody you know and that's that's definitely not Batman to me um so, uh, you know, and, and also it was not even portrayed like that in Frank Miller's graphic novel either. So, you know, again, there were a lot of liberties taken and I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, I, even though I, I liked the design of Batmobile, I liked the suit overall. Um, I also liked, you know, his voice modulation uh, when he spoke as Batman. So, you know, um, you know, obviously I didn't like it too much because it sounded a little bit too robotic. But of course, you know, he's got to disguise his voice and so no one can really tell he's Bruce uh, Wayne. But uh, anyways, not, you know, I, not to go too much longer on that, but I just wasn't really a big fan of the Ben Affleck Batman. You know, I, I know that he tried and he was going to originally, um, you know, direct his own Batman. And, and I, I remember reading that, you know, he talked about that the original storyline of that was that, you know, Batman's uh, trying to investigate something. He ends up, you know, kind of being locked away in Arkham Asylum or he's, he's trapped in there. And uh, which definitely sounded like he was kind of pulling from the source material from, uh, you know, Frank Miller's uh, uh, graphic novel Arkham Asylum from the 80s. You know, the 80s was really a big time when uh, even before. 1989 you know we're talking all throughout the 80s in that decade we started seeing a a darker uh storytelling a more gothic storytelling of of batman and really getting into gritty detective type stories and so that's kind of the inspiration for uh for the 90s 2000s even now of of how batman is now you know um you know long done are the 
you know, the 60s and 70s and even going all the way back to the 30s of how Batman was, you know, have sort of these campy, you know, storytelling uh, type of tales. So um, anyways, you know, it, it sounded like it was going to be interesting, but again, it, it still was going to be a little bit more of the same. You know, the, the fact that this is how, how I kind of look at it too. Like, I understand we got Zack Snyder's version, but I think, I feel like that, you know, the way Ben Affleck uh, went about it, and even if he was to direct this film, that was him signing off that he was okay with Batman killing people. So that right there just kind of told me, like, I, I started wondering, like, is he really a fan or is he just kind of buckling here and um, giving in just so he can have a, a chance of portraying Batman on screen? Like, to me, it would go against my principles, you know, if I were in his, in his shoes, but... You know, again, I, I don't know if he would have uh, done a completely different storytelling with his movie, but eventually it didn't work out, um, and it kind of fell through. I, I heard that there was some uh, drama behind the scenes with, you know, Jeff Johns, who was the uh, chief creative officer uh, of the DCEU at the time, um, and trying to kind of, uh, you know, undermine Affleck there. Uh, so I think those two kind of butted heads, but at the same time, Ben had his own personal demons he was struggling with, with alcoholism and had to step away. But, uh, you know, now we see, especially with fandom that, uh, he's going to be back. He's going to be in the, the next, uh, flash movie, which is going to be a flashpoint, the flashpoint storyline without going, you know, taking too much time on that is kind of a, goes into different dimensions where you see an, an older Batman who's actually, um, played by, uh, it's, it's actually Thomas Wayne, who's Batman, uh, in that dimension, because in that dimension storyline, uh, Bruce Wayne was actually shot and killed as well as Martha. And so we see a vengeful, um, Thomas Wayne, uh, become a, a Batman that actually kills people, um, and is an alcoholic. And so it's, a uh, it's a very different storytelling. I highly recommend checking out, you know, the flashpoint, uh, graphic novel. I believe there's also a, uh, DC animated film, uh, that came out too. And I think it might be rated PG 13 or R, but I remember watching it and it was pretty, um, pretty close along the lines of the, the graphic novel. So definitely worth checking out, but you know, you kind of see that, uh, you know, the flash runs in, in, into sort of this other dimension and, so I believe that's what they're going to be doing with the storyline of the next Flash movie with it being Flashpoint, which has brought Ben Affleck back as Batman, but also Michael Keaton as an older Batman. And I'm wondering if he's going to be the, you know, that sort of version where he's actually Thomas Wayne. That would be interesting, but I think a lot of people would like him to see, like, like to see him as more of like the Batman from sort of the 89 universe, just older. And, uh, so we'll see what happens, but I've heard that, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman is going to be the one that's kind of, you know, working with, uh, with the flash to kind of try and, you know, um, you know, accomplish whatever task he sought out to do in this other dimension, which is very similar to, again, the flashpoint storyline. So, you know, um, that's a lot basically to, uncapped there but that just kind of leads everything off in terms of the Batman on screen sort of perspective so going into you know the final trailer that that was uh provided from Matt Reeves and again this is just a teaser trailer you know this is 25 percent of the film that there's only been 25 percent of the film that's been um done it's completed uh, due to the pandemic, they had to, you know, put a pause on it. Uh, the film was being uh, filmed at, on location in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, as well as Liverpool. 
um, which is excellent because the the scenery of that city and I've looked up you know imagery of it is perfect for what you know Gotham City is is to look like but they're also using you know of course some CGI realistic CGI elements of, of just adding to buildings and and kind of stuff we've seen before like in Inception and you know the Dark Knight trilogy and stuff where it kind of gives it its own look um, and by the way, the, the Dark Knight trilogy was filmed in, you know, Chicago and, uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises was filmed in uh, Pittsburgh. So, you know, they took elements of real life city, but also kind of added on to it. So it kind of blended it in and, and made it its own. So it doesn't look too recognizable. But um, I, I have a feeling this is going to be uh, done expertly. And uh, I, I already like the the vibe I got from the teaser trailer. So. Uh, without further ado, so, you know, Matt Reeves uh, talked about what this storyline is, is to be and sort of the vibe that, you know, that the tone of the film and, um, you know, it's it's taking place uh, around year two. So this is like early on in Batman's career. So this is a, a young Batman, you know, uh, basically around probably my age. So we're talking like early 30, early to mid 30s uh, Batman um, and in year two, obviously, you know, Batman's already well known and he's known enough that, you know, you see here in this teaser trailer that he enters into this crime scene and, you know, so he's making a name for himself. And so that's definitely interesting. But uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of like we jump straight into it, which is, I think, what all of us as fans want to see. You know, we've seen the origin story time and again told and, you know, the scene where uh, his parents get shot and the the pearls get ripped from his his mother's neck you know as, as she dies and he's you know there on his knees with his his dead parents and and uh you know in the in, in that that alleyway and um you know we we've seen it time and again so i think we're we're definitely past that and uh we just want to get straight into a batman story without wasting too much time and that's exactly what matt reeves is doing here so you know, uh, when I heard that Matt Reeves was going to direct this and take this on and he had his own original telling of uh, Batman, um, I definitely was excited uh, based on Matt Reeves's work, you know, directing the last two Planet of the Apes films. I definitely love the tone and uh, the storytelling and, and the camera work and everything about the those films, uh, especially the last one with, you know, Woody Harrelson as sort of the villain uh, in it. And, uh, you know, definitely love the the look and tone of, of the films. So when I heard that he was going to be doing this, and he's also a gigantic Batman fan and uh, graphic novel fan, um, I knew that he was going to do the Batman Justice. It, it all just came down to a question of who's going to be Batman and, and then who, you know, what's the story going to be about? Who else is going to be in it? So, you know, throughout this, we have uh, in the other casting, we have Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle and Catwoman. Uh, we also have uh, Paul Dano, uh, who is the Riddler, uh, which is amazing casting. Uh, Paul Dano, I, I absolutely loved him in uh, Prisoners. If you have not seen Prisoners, definitely check it out. It's one of the most harrowing um, movies that you'll experience. Very gripping. Uh, everybody that's in it is just fantastic. Um, and it's also by, you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve, who, you know, directed... Um, you know, Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 and, you know, excellent film. Um, that one, that film's definitely on uh, under 
the radar of a lot of people and everybody I've recommended it to have watched it and have just been like, dude, I haven't seen a movie like that since seven. Like it's just, it definitely has those vibes. So definitely check it out. But Paul Dano's role in it was very creepy in a way, but not, you know, it, you'll just have to check it out. I can't really describe too much more without giving stuff away. But, uh, you know, obviously the, the other roles I remember seeing Dano in was, uh, you know, some comedic roles such as the girl next door. And, um, you know, there was a, another role he was in where, um, where he's got Daniel's Daniel Radcliffe's body and kind of uses it as a canoe and all kinds of stuff. It was very <laughs> crazy over the top movie, but comedic nonetheless, but I've seen Dano in a lot of other films as well. Um, where he is just also becoming a very thriving actor in the same sort of uh, evolutionary sense as we've been seeing Robert Pattinson do as well in indie films. So the fact that he got a shot, I, I think he's going to be perfect as Riddler. Um, and two, you know, and, and I'll get into the teaser trailer here in a bit as far as my analysis, but he definitely has a different vibe this is a completely different you know reinvented look as the riddler so i think having this darker tone and serial killeristic uh uh you know vibe of uh that we're going for with this riddler i mean just makes him even more perfect for it so i i cannot wait to see it um also in the film we also have uh colin farrell portraying oswald cobblepot who's the penguin uh, and then uh, Carmine Falcone, which is the uh, mob boss, one of the, the there's two major uh, crime syndicate bosses uh, or crime mob families, if you will, uh, in Gotham City uh, in the graphic novels. And, you know, one is headed up by Carmine Falcone and the other one is headed up by uh, Sal Maroney. Um, we actually saw. You know both characters throughout the Dark Knight trilogy. The you know Batman Begins. We actually saw Carmine Falcone, and um, you know he was the guy who was attached. Uh, he he was basically hiding in his uh, limo, and then you know Batman introduces himself for the first time, and uh, you know he's the guy who ends up getting kind of like uh, sucked in. You know working with uh, Scarecrow, and uh, so that was interesting to see. And then we see Sal Maroni and. The Dark Knight, you know, uh, portrayed by Eric Roberts. And so I thought it was interesting that they kind of threw them in. And, and again, that's why that trilogy was very, you know, crime thriller-esque in a way was uh, the, you really had to tie in the the mob films. But anyways, uh, you know, we we uh, we also have Carmine Falcone uh, in the film who is portrayed by John Turturro. And I think that's excellent casting right there. Uh, also in, in, throughout the credits, you know, Zoe Kravitz is Selena Kyle and, and also known as Catwoman. Um, and then, uh, we have Andy Serkis who is, uh, portraying a, a younger Alfred Pennyworth. I think that's going to be perfect. That guy's an amazing actor. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard is also in the movie. He plays, uh, uh, somebody listed as district attorney Gil Coulson. So, you know, obviously throughout the graphic novels, and we see that even in the dark Knight. Um, you know, everybody knows that Harvey Dent becomes the district attorney, um, and eventually he ends up becoming Two-Face. So I think this is even before Harvey Dent on uh, the storyline. Uh, and then also we have Jeffrey Wright uh, cast as James Gordon. This is going to be amazing. Uh, I love Jeffrey Wright. You know, his portrayal is Felix Leiter in, in the Bond series with, with Daniel Craig. And, and then, of course, you know, I've really loved him as, uh, as his character in Westworld. Um, 
that you know he's just an incredible actor so him as James Gordon definitely brings some gravitas to the role uh which I really loved uh the portrayal of of James Gordon in of James Gordon in um the Dark Knight trilogy by Gary Oldman who's also a sort of chameleon actor that that brings a lot of gravitas as well um and then you know throughout the the rest of the casting there's there's a few other characters here that you know I'm not too familiar with who these these characters are but uh also, you know, great actors in their own right. But those are kind of like your A-list actors for the, the film right there. So without further ado, and I know this is, uh, I had a lot of information to kind of unpack there, just kind of lead and, and tee this up. Uh, we're going to go right into my analysis of the teaser trailer. So um, I will give you a, sort of a play-by-play uh, as I've rewatched this trailer over, you know, many, many times. And uh, these are my breakdowns of, of every scene just from the beginning to end. So if you want to put it on, um, you know, while I'm kind of going through this, uh, you're more than welcome to. Um, and then after I go through this beat by beat in my analysis, I will then kind of unpack my post-trailer thoughts and uh, and kind of my, my feelings that I got throughout this. Uh, so uh, we'll begin right here with, uh, you know, right as the the teaser trailer starts, you know, we see the WB logo, uh, come into frame and we hear duct tape, uh, you know, being pulled as a sound effect. And then of course the DC logo, uh, being introduced next. And they're all in this very classy red type of look that we have not seen since, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Um, so I, I, I'm really glad that that is staying with that tone and we're getting away from, you know, kind of the DCEU type of look. So right off the bat, you know that this is a, a very serious movie and not some, uh, you know, fantastic sort of uh, uh, telling. So the initial tone from this film, right when we go and cut into the scene, you know, we see a, a man, you know, pulling duct tape and uh, the, the tone of it and everything just inside just kind of reminds me of Zodiac, Prisoners, Seven, you know, the list goes on and on. And as well as sort of like the dreary uh, undertones, you know, in, in the music. But uh, we, we see the man who basically has sort of a mask on, glasses over it, you know, something kind of, um, he's just dressed in black, uh, looks very, uh, you know, very foreboding. And, uh, you know, this obviously is the Riddler here, um, after he has, has killed a man and is, uh, about to, to tape up his head. So, uh, you know, the, the Riddler's look here, I, I really love it because I'm glad we're getting away from sort of the question mark suit and sort of the over the top zaniness that sometimes you see in some of the, some of the graphic novels, you know, they, They've changed up his look a little bit over the years in the graphic novels, but he's always kind of remained the same looking in a way. So, you know, kind of reminiscent, really reminds me of what, you know, the look that they gave Heath Ledger's Joker in, in The Dark Knight, where they, vet, they you know, very much radicalized him and made him look like a, a true agent of chaos, if you will, you know, having the scars and just looking like very, you know, punk uh, you know, esque and, and very formidable and, and disturbing. And, uh, you know, that's exactly sort of how I would describe Paul Dano here in, in, as the Riddler. So, you know, he kind of has this gimp looking mask with the glasses over. It looks very barbaric and serial killer esque. Uh, so then, you know, this goes into the next scene or the next frame where we see the, the man's face uh, is totally covered in duct tape. And on top of it, we see, you know, the words, no more lies, 
uh, written on the duct tape of his face, either in, in blood or red marker. And, uh, you know, is, is this the Riddler calling out Batman, Gotham City Police Department, or both, or just, you know, the, the Gotham City officials? I don't know. It could be all of the above of, you know, what what lies are we talking about here? Uh, going into, you know, it, sort of my analysis of it, I'm guessing that this victim uh, that you see is who's taped up at the crime scene, uh, I believe that, you know, we start to see a little bit more of inside this building, um, inside this sort of home of who this might be. And, and it looks like it could be the mayor of uh, Gotham and, and looks to be uh, Mayor Don Mitchell, uh, as we start to see looking at the newspaper clippings and all that um, with the first collages of that. But, you know, you see that kind of duct tape on the wall with the, the big word of lies, either written in blood or paint or something like that, red paint, uh, written on it. Um, and, uh, you know, the top middle newspaper also displays his historic third term win, I noticed. Um, and, you know, to get a third term win for any mayor, I mean, that's pretty tall order. But, you know, if we're talking about a Gotham City who is, you know, very corrupt, you know, things like that, especially early on in, in Batman's days, it was still extremely corrupt. Um, you know, for a mayor to go on a third term, probably one due to heavy corruption. So, you know, um, which I'll get into a little bit of what I know as far as the Batman graphic novels are concerned in terms of top city officials being heavily involved with the mob and, uh, you know, different uh, crime syndicates and, uh, and also, you know, the police department also being in bed with them too, uh, which just leads to more, um, you know, corruption and, and, uh, and violence and, and just, you know, uh, complete dismay of, of what Gotham city was about. So the shot following this, we see Gordon, who's played by Jeffrey Wright, who's again, amazing, looks amazing, everything, you know, uh, we, we see him uh, enter the frame and what appears to be, you know, we're following the shot is following him down sort of this corridor lined up with cops and FBI people. So it appears to be from Batman's perspective as he's following Gordon into this crime scene, uh, the, the cops and FBI clearly looking at at Batman, you know, as he's following, you know, they're looking sternly at him and they seem to be pissed off or puzzled at, as to what they might have found at the crime scene and you know, hoping they get some sort of answers. and But you could tell there there's an uneasiness in terms of Batman entering this crime scene. So, you know, this is all probably Gordon's call. Um, so then, you know, next we enter into the crime scene. Um, this next frame shows a, you know, detective um, as he's lifting a, a green envelope, you know, containing a card off the body. And, and the body is basically we're from, you know, behind, uh, you know, that room and He's laying in a sofa or a chair or a recliner or something like that. Uh, so the detective is lifting up this this green envelope. Um, and one thing that I noticed that's really interesting in this this moment in this scene was that the body of the man, you know, his left hand is inside of an open paper bag and his hand is sticking out, you know, directly to the side. So I don't know if this is something that the Riddler did or maybe there's something that detectives did to preserve something on that hand. Not sure. You know, it could be another clue, but you kind of see numbers throughout, just like from any crime scene. So I'm sure that the Riddler left all kinds of different evidence and clue, and who knows, maybe DNA, someone else's DNA. You just never know. Um, so uh, one thing, you know, right off the bat here is, you know, the, the music starts to ramp up a little bit. 
we we start hearing especially the tone whenever batman's following gordon into the crime scene we immediately hear you know kurt cobain's voice you know nirvana's something in the way uh starts which sets a very dreary tone to the trailer uh love this i i can't believe they actually used nirvana um you know in in sort of the the music of this trailer but again it, it definitely sets the tone uh perfectly i got goosebumps as soon as it started and definitely had my interest 100 percent um i i definitely uh was not about to blink uh the rest of the trailer on because i i was like okay this is this is definitely going into like a seven type of vibe and uh i'm, I'm i was just loving every minute of it or every second of it so throughout the trailer you know we hear that song and pieces of the song are kind of mixed in with uh, michael uh giacchino's uh uh, fantastic score, you know, and one thing I like about uh, Michael's score in, in this movie, and as he is the composer of uh, the Batman, the motif he uses on the piano, uh, that just that that short, simple theme uh, with the piano is just full of tragedy and pain, you know, just these, uh, the use of the minor scale, you know, it's, it's just perfect. Um, and it's not sort of the grand over the top, you know, uh, sort of triumphant brass sound that Hans Zimmer used in the Dark Knight trilogy, which I also loved, you know, I, I loved Hans Zimmer's work throughout that, especially the sort of the theme that he created for the Joker in terms of how riveting and it keeps ramping up. But, uh, but this is a very different tone here. And, and this is perfect for kind of having a very, uh, conflicted and, and very, you know, um, uh, pain-ridden uh, Batman who's, you know, trying to make a difference, but, you know, also sets a very serious tone here. So, you know, right away, I, I just love the the mixing of Nirvana's Something in the Way mixed with this. I think both of these, um, you know, the orchestral piece along with Something in the Way, they just match up perfectly here. There's a perfect symmetry. Um, and just what I'm seeing here from the cinematography as well, you know, going, leading, you know, Gordon leading the Batman through the corridor into the crime scene was just fantastic. You know, it's just everything seems smooth. You can see everything. You don't have things that are too close up. Um, <clears throat> and also just, you know, throughout the rest of the teaser trailer, you know, you can see everything. There is no frenetic you know, choppy editing and, and any of this, that stuff or, or camera work, you know? So, um, I'm very pleased with the cinematography here as well. Next we have Gordon's voice over reading, uh, the card and the, the visual introduction here. So, <clears throat> you know, th this is the visual introduction of Gordon, you know, obviously he's not the commissioner yet. Cause you know, uh, he just, you could tell he just looks more of the part of the lieutenant, um, you know, in Batman year one in that graphic novel, when he first comes to town as, as, uh, in, in Gotham city, he actually was a, a ranking, uh, rank of a lieutenant. And I believe he was as well going into year two. Uh, so again, this is before he ends up taking over as commissioner and, and getting that promotion. Um, so again, not too dissimilar to how he was in Batman begins as well. So again, taken straight out of the comic books there. Um, the front of the, the card that Gordon is holding, uh, it's briefly shown. It's very, very quick shot, probably like half a second. You can see the, the front of the card, but I've, uh, I've paused it and analyzed it on the front of it. We see a skeleton in the background, 
uh, along with the moon and, and uh, you know, I, I believe it's a bat or something like that in the far distance. But the skeleton is shushing. He's in a shushing gesture, has his finger, his index finger over his mouth. And then in the foreground of the card, we see an owl sitting. Uh, the owl is basically just staring straight ahead. Text on the on the card says, you know, from your secret friend, who, uh, W-H-O-O question mark. Uh, so much like the owl is going who. Um, and uh, Gordon reads that. And then, uh, you know, the who part, uh, it, it also matches the owl's eyes in terms of the the color scheme. And I don't know if, they, if that's also intentionally a, a clue here, as it could lead into reference of the Court of Owls, which is a, another graphic novel. This is a more recent graphic novel over the last decade. Um, and this storyline was created about the Court of Owls, which is basically a sort of a cult society um, that has been around since the beginning of the... Uh, you know, uh, establishment or settling of Gotham City, if you will, back in, you know, the late 1700s or 1800s or whenever it might have been, and that this cult has always been trying, you know, has always been kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes, if you will, in terms of always having corruption and, and whatnot in terms of, you know, running the city and, and having all of the power, um, you know, behind the scenes. And so that's, it was very interesting storyline to be created in, inside the graphic novel. Uh, and it was a series of graphic novels. Um, but I really love the storyline because it, it really goes into Batman discovering that, you know, or Bruce Wayne really discovering that his parents might have been members of this organization or might not have been. So it really kind of, so all of a sudden he just is now questioning everything about his parents and you know that also calls into question his mission as batman you know like well it what what am i doing here i you know i my bloodline is part of this deep-seated corruption that is gotham city you know and so what's the point should i even continue on as batman because my my namesake is cursed you know and and are my parents were they really the good people who I thought they were, or were they really part of this this cult? So, you know, that could be something that could be used here in this film. And if they do go the Court of Owls um, direction, uh, that would just be amazing because you could you could you know kind of go over that storytelling throughout you know a series of films, um, much kind of like you have sort of a uh, Moriarty to a Sherlock Holmes type of thing where that kind of becomes sort of like un, uh, you know, veiled and, and going, um, you, you start to find out more about Moriarty layer by layer. Same thing here in terms of, you know, having this, this cult, this court of owls, if you will. Um, and, uh, I think that that might be the direction that Matt Reeves is going. And I really hope it is so that we can kind of get away from, you know, obviously the Joker, I'm sure at some point is going to make an appearance in, in the second or third, uh, the Batman film. Um, but I, I definitely want them to take their time and, and really get in some other storytelling here because there's a lot more, uh, you know, the, the thing about the Batman is, you know, in the graphic novels, he has one of the best rogues gallery ever because every, uh, nemesis he has has such uh, depth of, of storyline and and uh, what makes their character and, and there's a lot of complexities you know it's not just oh this guy just wants to take over the world you know there's a lot of complexities to it and uh, a lot of uh, grounded uh, storytelling and, and a lot so you know with all that there's a lot of really great detective storylines and, and this is what 
Matt Reeves was also getting at, you know, too, before he teed up this teaser trailer was that, you know, this is going to be a detective story, a, a noir detective story. And I definitely am getting that feeling going through this teaser trailer. So I've just getting goosebumps watching it. So, but, um, but again, that, that could be, uh, correlating to what this owl is on, on the top could be a clue. Like I said, to court of owls, we'll see what happens. Um, the skeleton also is interesting on the, the cover of the card as well, because I believe it might tie to, you know, it may be a reach here, but I think it's tying to the gang that we eventually see, uh, the Batman encounter later in the trailer, um, this, this sort of street gang that kind of has like a skull uh, face painting and stuff. I don't know if, if that's also intended there to tie into that, but just thought it was kind of interesting that an owl and a skeleton was used. But again, you know, could be pulling from the long Halloween and this murder happened on Halloween and and that's why you have a skeleton on the cover. I don't know. So again, that's just uh, my analysis there. Uh, Gordon then opens up the card and reads the insert of the card and it says you know what's printed on the card says having a clue uh let's play a game just me and you and inside the card on the left side you see something handwritten in pen that says what does a liar do when he's dead uh underneath the just me and you part that's inscribed and printed on the card in in the inside uh is a bunch of symbolic uh code you know some sort of code to decipher uh, very Zodiac killer, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff here, uh, which also you see the Riddler do throughout the graphic novels as well as in the Arkham game. So um, very, very creepy use here. And I, I really, I'm really digging um, what, what they got here in terms of, you know, this is what I've always wanted to see from a Riddler perspective of just, you know, something very dark and sinister and and, you know, so I've seen some breakdown videos of some people who have decoded this um, and decoded the, the symbolism. And, and they have said that uh, what basically that that symbolism says is it's answering what the Riddler wrote in terms of his question on the left side of the card, uh, asking, what does a liar do when he's dead? And this uh, symbolic code basically is deciphered as he lies dead still. So kind of a joke, but also uh, very chilling. And, um, you know, kind of incorporates the, the double uh, use of the word lie, uh, such as a body lying dead and then, uh, you know, lies uh, like there there's, you know, all these lies that people are telling. So very chilling. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really digging this vicious Riddler, this sort of serial killer type of Riddler who's still trying to feel his way through trying to get the attention. I think he's definitely got the attention of uh gotham city pd as as well as batman here so um you know from that point we see two black combat boots enter the frame from ground level perspective you know these don't look like some sort of like doc martin comfortable boots these are industrial type of combat boots here uh from over the shoulder of what appears to be batman because it's it's very uh, dark figure and some reflective things off of his cape and cow you know we see plaques and, and newspaper articles hung on the wall and these aren't duct taped on these are actually hung on the wall so whoever lives here or if this is their office or home uh this was definitely indeed you know their sort of uh wall of fame if you will of of having different uh plaques and uh, newspaper articles and stuff and framed and they're all referencing uh someone named mayor don mitchell jr um and so i believe that's the body of of the man who has his face taped up uh with no more lies and all that i i believe that's what the riddler did here was that he killed the mayor 
um, who was corrupt and, and, and part of this deep-seated corruption. And, uh, you know, the newspaper, there's also a newspaper uh, hung up on the wall that's framed up, and it also references something about a Moroni drug bust. So this is a call to mob boss Sal Moroni, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, one of the other, there's, again, two major uh, mob families in Gotham City. One is uh, the, the head of that is uh, the Sal Moroni uh, mob syndicate. And then we have the Carmine Falcone um, mob syndicate as well. Uh, so, you know, Sal Maroney, again, heavily featured in Chris Nolan's The Dark Knight, played by Eric Roberts, uh, and also a major character in the, in the comic book uh, graphic novels as well. Uh, Gordon then holds up the card, and we now see the front of the green envelope that says, To the Batman, uh, in slightly obsessive, deranged writing styling on it. Um, Gordon asks, Does this mean anything to you? And the Batman walks into the frame where we see the bat suit for, you know, we've seen sort of like uh, remnants of the bat suit. And of course, some of the uh, spy photography from, you know, when they were filming out in uh, in daylight and stuff or, or out at night. Uh, but this is the best look at the bat suit that we've seen yet as it's in a very dreary, dreary, uh, low light setting. Um, you know, it really, when he walks in the frame, I'm just getting like <laughs> absolute chills. Uh, because it, it definitely, the color, you know, uh, basically kind of gives me vibes of, you know, Batman, the long Halloween, Batman, Noel, uh, you know, it just really kind of has a very dark ominous tone, but the way that the Cape lines into the chest armor plating is perfect having the lines there. Um, and you know, so again, long Halloween and Noel are some of my favorite, you know, dark and detective, uh, centric Batman graphic novels of all time. So the look of the suit to me is just perfect. You know, I'm always going to love the, the Michael Keaton bat suit. Uh, I definitely love, uh, Christian Bale's, you know, uh, bat suit and the, the Chris Nolan films, uh, you know, the, the, the one from Batman begins. And then of course, whenever the, the suit starts to change where he can turn his head and, you know, I, I definitely like those suits, but this to me is, is very close and reminiscent of, you know, suits I've seen in some of the graphic novels, especially like Batman Noel and um, and also in the Batman Arkham games. I think it's very similar as well. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting about the the bat symbol on the chest, and, and I think I've kind of talked about this in past episodes when uh, Mountain Carl and I were, were discussing sort of, you know, our very first look at the Batman, was that, you know, the symbol has like these metal pieces throughout, and there's a rumor going around that those metal pieces could be, you know, each side of, of the handle or, or parts of the, the gun that was used to kill Bruce Wayne's parents. And so he puts it over his heart uh, as a way of like, uh, so that, you know, his parents are always with him, number one, and two, uh, kind of like a, a way to protect his heart as well. So, you know, very, very deep and dark undertones there. But, you know, that's also uh, something that was used in, in some of the uh, Batman comics, you know, of years ago where, uh, when he first started out, he actually, you know, broke into Gotham city PD, stole the, the gun from the evidence room that was used to kill his parents. And then, you know, that Joe chill used, and then he took that and sort of melted it down into like, uh, you know, used a caster or something and melted it down and kind of, uh, uh, molded it into uh, what would be over his or underneath his his Batman logo, you know, which is mainly just an all black logo. Um, 
in in the comics and he kind of has like more of a gray suit so i think they're definitely going to kind of pull from that on on this here and I'm, I'm hoping that that's what the those metal pieces are um which would just be amazing and really speaks to like again just how obsessive um batman is with you know how bruce is with his uh his vengeance and his quest to, you know, avenge his parents' murder and, and, and always have that mission to, to fight crime, you know, in, in their name and not have their deaths, uh, go in vain, you know? So, uh, again, just love the look of the suit here. Uh, the cowl as well, you know, you could tell it's like the early stages of what his bat suit is going to look like. So I'm sure that as we progress maybe later on into this film or even into the next, uh, sequel films, uh, his suit is definitely going to start to change up. But as far as like a Batman year one or year two look of the suit, this is definitely perfect uh, for me. Uh, you know, some people have kind of complained of like, oh, the cow looks too much like Daredevil and all that. But, you know, that um, I don't know what what to tell you. I mean, yeah, Daredevil, the, the TV series I thought was excellent, done really well, and it was dark. But, you know, a cow is a cow, right? So, uh, but I, I really love this because when he walks in, I don't see Robert Pattinson. I see Batman. Like, that's... That's freaking Batman right there when he walks in. You know, I don't see Ben Affleck. I don't see, you know, and again, I, I love uh, Christian Bale. I thought he definitely had the look of Batman. But, yeah, this is my kind of Batman. This is this is definitely early years Batman, but definitely like he just walked in right off the graphic novel. So excellent design work on the costume here. Just completely blown away by it. Um, so uh, the scene definitely, you know, changes up. The scene changes to a press conference. Um, this is probably, you know, outside of uh, GCPD on the steps or something like that. But uh, we see a heavy set man, graying, uh, with graying hair, you know, in glasses, kind of looking smug before he addresses the media. Uh, so that sort of smugness in the look that he gives kind of indicates to me that he's probably part of the corruption. Um, and uh, he appears to be the commissioner as uh, Gordon is standing to his left and another high-ranking officer is standing to his right. Uh, so, you know, again, kind of calling back to Batman year one uh, in the early years of Batman, you know, Gordon was still a lieutenant. Um, and uh, so I, I believe he's still a lieutenant at this point. Um, Matt Reeves did mention that he would be taking this, the storyline would be taking place from the second year or around the second year of Batman's career. So definitely lines up to me with what I know with my knowledge in the Batman graphic novel universe. Um, and I believe that this also explains why, you know, Batman's allowed to enter the crime scene and appears to be becoming well known for the first time, because again, this is, you know, at least, uh, a couple years into, uh, him making sort of a little bit of a difference here in, in Gotham City, you know, and in the graphic novel Batman Year One, the original commissioner was actually named Commissioner Loeb. Uh, he was actually very corrupt and held dinners at his house. And again, this is in the, the very first year of Batman in the Frank Miller graphic novel. You know, uh, Commissioner Loeb held dinners at his house with the mob boss, uh, Carmine Falcone, so, you know, the, it was like the GCPD was in bed with the major, you know, crime syndicate, uh, mob family there, uh, in the graphic novel, the Batman, basically what happens is he, he goes to, uh, commissioner Loeb's like mansion at night, uh, crashes their dinner party. Cause they're having dinner together, uh, Loeb and 
Carmine Falcone and, and a few other uh, crime syndicate people, some very unsavory people. You could tell it's top-notch dinner. You know, they got butlers and all kinds of stuff. And so the Batman crashes their party by cutting the power and then blowing a hole with like a, a charge or something, like blows a, 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 a giant hole in the dining room's wall. And he comes in and he goes, ladies, gentlemen, you have eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth. It's spirit. Your feast is nearly over. Uh, speaking of Gotham's spirit, uh, from this moment on, none of you are safe. And then he disappears into the night. And so from that point on, we see later in the graphic novel, the commissioner is calling for Batman dead or alive, sends the entire police force, the mob is after him, Batman's on the run. And so you kind of see where Batman's trying to target the the high level of corruption and uh you know all these these people in power are just again sort of feasting on the spirit of gotham and and gotham's wealth and uh so i think i think that's kind of what they're doing here with this commissioner is uh it's i i wouldn't be surprised if they use that sort of same storyline element um but uh you know in the film he's he has a different name he his name is not Commissioner Loeb. It's it's a it's a different name. But uh, again, they could pull from that and kind of uh, put that on screen here. Uh, so back to the trailer, we see the frame cut from the news conference, and we see Bruce Wayne in a cloth mask covering his face. Uh, he has eye makeup on to further throw off anyone recognizing him on the street because again, he's you know billionaire Bruce Wayne. Um, so he's kind of watching from like the alleyway or a corner, uh, the news conference in person. Um, we see the conference is wrapping, and we see what appears to be Bruce putting on his motorcycle helmet uh, and driving his motorcycle away from the collection of media reporters and news vans. Uh, Bruce is then driving his motorcycle through, uh, in this next frame, uh, through a dreary cemetery. Um, and this movie is being filmed in Glasgow, Scotland, as well as Liverpool, like I mentioned. So perfect location scouting for this look. I mean, this cemetery just looks gothic you know and, and it, it looks like something that would be in gotham city for sure um and then bruce pulls into what appears to be a, an abandoned subway terminal or something like that because i see these uh these two sets of decrepit stairs kind of like what you would see you know in in other you know major subway terminal terminals in new york or something like that um, and we see old globe style lights, you know, from, you know, typically they were found in the 40s and 50s and, and some of those terminals and what appears to be an old train track in the middle that kind of leads into the tunnel underneath the uh, the the stairway and, and the archway. Um, and uh, there's a you know, there's also an, an old clock at the top, this old train station clock. Um, there's some writing underneath it. I can't really tell what it what it says. It's not clear enough to me, but definitely looks like an old, um, maybe now defunct uh, train station from years and years ago. And uh, it's probably been closed off and just hadn't been used. And and who knows, maybe it runs up to sort of the, the land that is owned by, uh, you know, on, on the, the premises or near the premises of the property of uh, Wayne Manor. Not sure. Um, but it looks like it's somehow connected to that cemetery as well. So there's been some theories online that, you know, maybe that this is somehow underneath the, the mausoleum or, or the, the burial place of uh, the Waynes, of Thomas and Martha Waynes, as his parents are always with them. But, you know, I, I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. I know that uh, Thomas and, and Martha Wayne, I mean, in some graphic novels, they're buried on property at Wayne Manor and then other 
graphic novels and and uh and you know films and stuff they're they're buried within you know the gotham cemetery so uh not really sure but that would definitely be uh that would definitely be dark for sure if they went uh that route as some people are kind of hypothesizing here um so it, as we uh see you know bruce pull up here and he, he takes off his helmet you know um you know we're, we're also seeing a collection of led lighting and large computer monitors and, and a, a workstation kind of an early uh days you know bat cave if you will um and next to it is a vehicle bay pit with another motorcycle that appears to be undergoing modifications or repairs uh along with some spare tires um so as bruce p- takes off his helmet he's parking his uh, motorcycle the next frame we see he's uh it's showing a funeral and bruce is reacting quickly to save someone from an oncoming speeding hearse with the letters doa which stands for dead on arrival uh written on the side and and the uh, back of the vehicle uh this looks like a a lincoln hearse so it's very modern day um you know one thing that i was hearing that was kind of rumors from the film when it was in production is that this storyline might be taking place in the early nineties or something like that. But <clears throat> I think, uh, I think that sort of theory was brought up because people were spotting some older looking per- police vehicles or cruisers or something that were very, you know, early nineties police model, uh, cruisers. So it could be that that might be like a, a flashback scene or who knows what, what that could be. But, uh, but everything else in this movie tells me that this is modern day and, uh, I'll get into a little bit as to why, but again, the Lincoln Hearst right there, right from the, the get go kind of, uh, informed me uh, as a viewer that, you know, this is definitely modern day. Cause that's definitely a modern looking, uh, uh, funeral hearse as well. Um, so, you know, we see again, Bruce quickly reacting, you know, jumping and grabbing someone to, to push him or pull him out of the way of this oncoming speeding hearse going in through this cathedral, uh, at this funeral. Um, and again, it's got DOA written on the sides. Uh, the vehicle then crashes into, uh, this hearth with, uh, there's multiple hearths with flowers and stuff up there. Um, and, uh, you know, next to that, there's, there's also the casket for what appears to be probably, you know, this might be the mayor's funeral. So, um, not really sure, you know, exactly like the timing of this. It might be days after the murder scene and, uh, things of that nature. Uh, cause we do get a glimpse of Bruce and he does look like he's very tired, probably hasn't slept. He's been trying to figure this case out, you know, very, uh, obsessed with it. So, you know, the, the vehicle crashes into, uh, the steps of this old Gothic looking cathedral, which also just looks perfect. Looks like it's something just, just straight out of, you know, Batman Arkham, uh, games or, or the, the graphic novels. So definitely looks like Gotham city to me. Um, the next frame we see what appears to be the driver of the hearse, possibly standing outside the vehicle. Uh, he has what appears to be a bomb strapped around his neck and sort of a steel metal looking mechanism, kind of something we've seen before, I think in the saw movies, you know? Um, and he's, he has his mouth heavily duct tape with writing on it, which is again, something we've seen before with, uh, the mayor's, um, you know, body when he was discovered at the crime scene and, and written in red is again, normal, no more lies is written on the front of it. Uh, he's also holding up, uh, his right hand, which, uh, strapped to his right hand or taped on it is a smartphone. 
and uh, appears to be someone calling it as there's a red and green icon, which, as we all know, usually the, the red icon is to hang up or ignore, and the green is to answer. So I, I believe this is probably the Riddler just calling the phone, um, something of that nature, uh, hoping that, you know, someone answers it. Um, and in the foreground, um, out of focus in this, this frame, we see uh, a memorial picture of the mayor. And, uh, and then next to the left, we see Bruce uh, standing next to him or, or next to, you know, uh, that, that frame or that picture in front of it, kind of out of focus, looking at the man uh, who this man is frightened holding up the phone. Uh, next frame, we see a zoomed in shot of what is duct taped to the front of the man's shirt. And that appears to be a yellow envelope containing what could be another card or clue from the Riddler. The envelope says, to the Batman. So, you know, here we go. <laughs> Riddler is just not uh, letting go of this. And this is just going to keep on going. So everyone in attendance in this next frame is uh, at the funeral is scrambling to get out of there, including a policeman. Uh, Bruce stares on sternly at the man. We see a lot of intensity and wariness on his face because, again, he probably hasn't slept, and and this is just getting worse. Um, next scene, we see Catwoman, Selena Kyle, uh, played by Zoe Kravitz, descending down from a skylight. Uh, this shot right here is perfectly placed as it looks something identical from a scene I, I remember seeing in the graphic novel The Long Halloween um, where, you know, Basically, what Catwoman is is she's a cat bur burglar, you know, pure and simple. So she's uh, descending in, um, you know, from a line and uh, appears to be, you know, what looks like the same study or home of the opening scene. So it's it's obviously the same building uh, from before. Uh, we see the crime scene tape uh, out of focus in the foreground with her in the background pulling down her whip or line that she came in, uh, came down, you know, uh, from using. And, uh, and then next we see her drilling into a heavy safe in the home or building, uh, looking to crack the lock to steal the contents of what's inside the safe. Um, you know, we can tell she is early on in her career as a cat burglar because, you know, the outfit isn't anything that I've seen, you know, inside, uh, uh the graphic novels or, uh, you know, even the anime series and everything like that. So this is definitely the, the early days, the onset of, of Selena Kyle and her uh, Catwoman days um, starting to begin. So the mass knapsack over her head has points sticking out to the side, which definitely has a nice little subtle look and a hint of cat ears. Uh, so I definitely like that uh, and that it wasn't so over the top. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll see sort of like the, uh, evolution of her outfit as, uh, as time goes on, uh, throughout this film and probably the next sequels. Um, next, uh, scene it's, it's dark and raining in a industrial parking lot, docking bay area outside of Gotham recycling. We see a sign for Gotham recycling, a uh, sign next to it says city of Gotham sanitation, East side depot. Um, there is an SUV with its headlights on, and in front of it is a another sedan, and there's a collection of men in umbrellas having a meeting uh, in the dark. So again, definitely looks uh, very suspicious. You know, probably some sort of corrupt meeting here going on uh, from some organized crime syndicate. Uh, next frame, we see it's a location, uh, the same location. Lightning strikes in the background. I believe it's lightning, uh, and we see a, a, a firm glimpse of a man standing in the rain without an umbrella now over his head, and he looks very pissed off. Uh, he has a scar under his nose going up the upper right side of his face over his cheekbone. 
um, as well as a gold tooth in the bottom right side of his mouth. And this is clearly Oswald Cobblepot, uh, a.k.a. the Penguin. And uh, what, what's amazing here is that Colin Farrell is playing the Penguin, and this looks nothing like him. So this is some pretty amazing makeup work but because uh, you can't even recognize him. But you, you can definitely tell this is probably, you know, the way he's dressed and everything, this is probably Oswald Cobblepot's, uh, you know, earlier days. Um, and from what Matt Reeves said is that, uh, Oz, as he goes by, uh, does not like being called the penguin, but based on his appearance, people probably call him that based on his nose or whatever his appearance might be. Um, so in the graphic novels as well, he's, uh, of what's portrayed in, as well in the, the Arkham games, the penguin is an arms dealer, uh, who does business with both mob families like the Falcones and Maronis and, uh, other crime syndicate factions. So, it could be that the commissioner is somehow part of this, uh, getting a share of weapon sales maybe, or, uh, you know, this would also make sense from a corruption angle. So, you know, where are you going to usually do your weapons deals? You know, obviously it'll be at the docks or, you know, somewhere like this, right? Some industrial area. So, uh, next frame, we see Batman looking down from the roof at them in the rain, great angle of the cow, which looks amazing. Uh, this is definitely giving me vibes again of the long Halloween, especially the way the nose is and the angular sweep back, uh, near the jawbone of the, the cow. Um, the next frame we see a gang or anarchists and they have a Halloween looking kind of makeup on, uh, again, kind of reminiscent of a skull. So it, it's possible maybe they could be working for, for Oswald Cobblepot or, uh, or, you know, this could be a callback to the card that we see in the crime scene at the start of the trailer with the skeleton behind the owl. I don't know. Uh, again, that could be a reach, but maybe they're part of some some other sort of uh, element that uh, maybe they also might be pawns or, or working with the Court of Owls. You just never know. Um, so some comments initially made by people are pretty ridiculous from what I've been seeing on YouTube and everything about, you know, oh, you know, immediately I see people with face paint and, you know, it looked like uh, they could be part of Joker's gang. Well, the Joker's not in this film, number one. Uh, I don't know if he's even going to get mentioned in it. Um, and again, you know, we had uh, the the film uh, Joker come out and with Joaquin Phoenix that takes place in like 1981 or 1982. So very early on compared to what modern day this looks like it could be. Um, so again, I think that that film is completely separate of this iteration or, or storytelling of Batman. Again, these are all just, again, you know, it's almost like looking at different graphic novels, right? So you have one that explains the origins of the Joker. You have another one over here that is a detective story of Batman. So that's the way I think that these should be looked at. Uh, but of course, a lot of people out there are just a bunch of simpletons and they want to just tie everything together because, uh, I don't know, that just helps them sleep better at night. I, I have no idea. But, uh, but again, I just think it's ridiculous. People just automatically jumping the gun going, oh yes, the Joker. Um, even though there's all kinds of other, uh, freaks and, and, and people who, you know, use face paint and stuff in the, the Batman graphic novels. So, uh, that just tells me they don't, they don't really follow graphic novels too much. They're again, just a bunch of simpletons in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, their faces again, look more like skulls. So, uh, you know, there's also one member of the gang uh, that I see here in this frame, and he's got a black cross on his forehead. So this, to me, is more of a 
Day of the Dead, uh, uh, Dia de los Mortes uh, vibe to it, if you will. Uh, you know, so it, who knows? It, it could be some sort of element that has more of a, a Latin vibe to it or, or a different gang, you know, not too dissimilar from what we see from some cartel gangs, right, in real life. So anyways, next frame we see um, what appears to be Bruce punching a, a metal wall or a locker under uh, some red light. Um, and we also see, you know, the Batman cow laying underneath this red light. Uh, very cool shot. Um, it's probably just the frustration that, you know, he, he probably had a very long day and could have been right after that crime scene or, or that more people are dying and he's just he's just beyond frustrated. Um, and, you know, could be again, he's just looking at the cow and wondering if he's really making a difference, you know, into his second year uh, in his career and uh, wondering if, if this is all worth it. Uh, the next scene, you know, we see the inside of what appears to be uh, the Gotham Police Department, possibly. Um, the cops are pushing the Batman um, or that Batman's uh, uh, angry and frustrated and he's he's going over or he's going after one of the officers. Probably the officer said something to set him off. So, again, this is kind of like early on in the career of Batman. You know, he doesn't really have his emotions in check and he might be flying off the handle here here and there and, and kind of overreacting. So, you know, Gordon grabs him and pushes him up against the wall, probably attempting to get him to cool it. Um, but I did notice something, you know, whenever Gordon pushes him, uh, pushes Batman against the wall to kind of get him to cool down, I noticed that there's a hook uh, kind of hanging from the top of the scene on the, the top right of the frame. So this could be maybe a meat factory or a storage refrigerator, possibly another crime scene that they're at. Um, and maybe it's not the Gotham Police Department. I'm not sure, but that was just some key observations I noticed there um, looking at the frame. Um, also, uh, you know, again, the cop probably instigated Batman saying that these murders continue happening because of you or something along those lines. And, you know, that's always kind of the interesting, um, you know, psychological or I guess psychological and philosophical standpoint of looking at, uh, you know, Batman's mythology and the story throughout from, you know, when he first arrived on the scene throughout his career of, you know, is he really making a difference uh, crime fighting and, and is he subduing the criminal element and, and threat that, um, you know, kind of uh, has a presence amongst Gotham City and its citizens or is his presence only spawning and creating more, uh, you know, criminal activity? And is it doing more harm than good? So that's always been kind of the philosophical uh, standpoint of Batman. What what I've always found to be extremely interesting as well. You know, it's it's kind of we see that a little bit with Superman as well. Of kind of like, you know, he hears he's here to be the protector of the earth, but but it, you know he can't do it all himself. And and is he really making a difference? And he even goes through that internally a little bit, as we see kind of in Man of Steel. But um, without going you know, too far down that rabbit hole. Again, that's something that from a philosophical standpoint, I've always really appreciated about Batman and just sort of his psychological standpoint, internalizing and brooding, wondering if he's going down the right path and, and is this all worth it? Is he doing more harm than good or vice versa? So really interesting thoughts to have here, uh, during the scene. That's kind of what just entered my mind. Um, and uh, would be interesting, too, if this is yet another crime scene uh, in some sort of meat factory or something like that, if you will. 
Uh, next, we see Selena Kyle flip her motorcycle helmet's visor down as she speeds off on a rainy night. Um, this is possibly escaping, you know, the Penguin's men shooting at her in the next frame. Uh, we see that, uh, you know, the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot, appears to be firing a submachine gun from the side of his car. And it looks like it was probably the same location, the uh, recycling um, depot area uh, that I mentioned before. Um and so I'm not sure if she just stole something from them or who knows. Uh, with Selena Kyle, you just never know what she's up to. She is on her own side. Um, you know, next scene, we see Catwoman fighting the Batman at the the scene, the location where she was attempting to crack open the safe. Uh, the two look intense and amazing here. Um, also a scene straight out of the long Halloween. This fight scene inside, you know, what looks to be a study just ripped out of the pages from the long Halloween. Highly recommend checking out that graphic novel if you've never read it before. Uh, and then the next frame we see the Riddler swinging down a hammer or blunt object. Uh, probably how he, you know, effectively killed the mayor, knocked him out to leading to his death. I'm not sure uh, in the beginning of this teaser trailer. So I think that that uh, scene is, uh, you know, what took place before him uh, ripping the duct tape and, and wrapping it around his face. Um, next frame, you know, we see an overhead shot of the funeral, uh, from a few scenes before, uh, this appears to be after everyone's cleared out, seems to be darker in there too. So I th I'm sure nightfall has, has taken place, but there's a chair placed in front of what appears to be a bomb squad robot. Um, you see a lot of empty chairs, but, uh, that one is facing sort of a different direction and it's facing towards that. So I'm, I'm sure they try to look at, you know, maybe there's a way to defuse the bomb and they probably couldn't come up with a way. So, you know, the Batman had to enter and, um, you could tell he's clearly trying to defuse it as he's standing in front of the man, uh, who had it around his neck. I mean, we don't see the man cause immediately from this, uh, before we get to that overhead shot, we see Batman flying back from a fireball. You could tell he's inside that cathedral in the church. Um, so from the overhead shot, you can see him, uh, being pushed back from the force of the, the bomb explosion, uh, sending him back and the other man in, in opposite directions with the explosion. Um, you know, during the scene, we also hear a uh, voiceover from the Riddler in a very dark, ominous voice saying, what is the price for your blind eye? Um, which is <laughs> interesting, uh, you know, because it's a blind eye of uh, turning a blind eye to corruption. Again, could be court of owls, but also kind of has a nice little play on, you know, a, a bat and that a bat is blind and uses sonar. So it doesn't really have a, so I thought that was kind of a nice play on words there. Uh, next scene, we see the skull gang in the right, um, at night, uh, or in the rain at night, I should say, uh, the leader of the gang, uh, you know, challenges Bas Batman asking him, you know, what the hell are you supposed to be? Uh, behind him, we see one of the gang members recording with his smartphone, which again, uh, is just another observation that this takes place modern day. Um, and the rest of them are smiling on as they watch. Uh, so further analysis of the gang leader or, or the, the guy, the point man who's uh, challenging Batman. He also has a skull neck tattoo on the front of his neck, which is very kind of Latin in styling. Um, and so not too dissimilar from what we've seen in some, you know, gang cartel gangs. I mean, if you look at Sicario or any of those other films or really just real life, you know, uh, if you've ever seen sort of like a cartel gang member and they've got tattoos on their face and their their neck. I mean, this isn't too dissimilar from the styling we've seen on that. So, again, I think this might have sort of a um, 
you know, Day of the Dead sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it just has that sort of cartel type vibe to this gang. So it might be inspired by it. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it would make sense if Gotham City is like the ultimate pit of, um, you know, criminality where you have, uh, you know, mob bosses and mafias and who knows, maybe you have some cartels, uh, you know, some cartel cells or, you know, uh, gangs or something like that there. So wouldn't surprise me if that's what they're going for here. Um, he's also wearing a necklace with a crucifix hanging on it. So again, you know, I, uh, I don't know, uh, that that's just kind of my observations there. Um, and then, uh, the gang member, uh, challenges Batman as he attempts to swing a bat or a blade at him. Um, <laughs> this is the scene that made all the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. But uh, Batman immediately grabs the gang member's arm, blocking the strike, performs a Krav Maga, uh, you know, move, striking back at the man's face uh, while at the same um, motion and in fluid motion, breaking the man's arm, uh, causing him to drop the weapon. Uh, and then he continues to neutralize the threat by repeatedly hitting him heavily uh, in the face uh, before the final third punch, which causes the man to go backward headfirst into the ground. Uh <laughs> The scene right here is just amazing. Just how dark it is, the cinematography with the camera, uh, everything's in frame and it's it's back and it definitely has sort of a, a very dark. Uh, I mean, again, just something straight out of the graphic novels, but you know, as far as film goes, you know, a very dark like Blade Runner look to it with the rain and all that. I just I I love this so much. It's just so gritty. Um, and this is Batman to me, you know. And the the thing about the Chris Nolan films, as much as I love them. You know, when it came to the fighting scenes, and it was even like this in a lot of different films, you know, that's maybe the one thing that the Batman versus Superman film kind of got right was that warehouse fight scene because you kind of can see everything that's going on because it's kind of pulled back. But, you know, the one criticism I had with, uh, you know, the Dark Knight films, you know, until I guess the final one when they tried to pull it back, and you know, as far as the uh, angle and the camera work during Batman's fighting scenes, but it was always too close up so you couldn't really tell what was going on and I get from a artistic standpoint you're trying to convey the ferocity and uh just how fast Batman is but you know we we want to see him kick ass you know we don't want to see like these close-up you know shots where we can't tell what's going on so the way that this was done and it was all done from just one angle uh there was no editing or nothing um perfect just yeah again i was just speechless how you know how he uh executed this how quick he was how he's able to move his neck everything so and then the the sound of it with the guy just flying back and then after the guy goes to the ground batman just follows and grounds and pounds him twice in the head further uh which again just i i was just in utter disbelief that that this happened so you know just again, rip, just ripped straight out of like the graphic novels, uh, you know, Batman Arkham Knight, all that other stuff, you know, or the Batman Arkham series games, I should say. So uh, after he performs Krav Maga and does a ground and pound on this guy's head, you know, to to render him unconscious, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, didn't uh, brutalize him too much. But again, this this really kind of conveys uh, Batman in his early days where he, he definitely has a hard time knowing when to not go overboard, you know, and, and just like anything else, you know, we look at sports athletes, right. You know, uh, where 
they let their emotions get the best of them and they overcommit to something or, you know, they end up in a fight, something like that. Whereas when they get older and they're more mature, they look back on that and they go, yeah, I should have had more restraint there or something like that. So this is definitely a Batman that uh, is struggling to find restraint. And uh, I'm sure the the challenges of this investigation, you know, the detective work he's doing and um, the fact that people continue to die and there's body, bodies piling up from the Riddler and and whatever else might be going on. Um, you know, I he is uh, extremely pissed. <laughs> so um, after he uh, does this ground and pound, he takes a pause and then he answers the guy's original question of of what is he supposed to be? And uh, he subtly just goes. I'm vengeance. And, uh, man, his voice here just sounds perfect because I didn't want some modular robotic thing. And I also didn't want to hear, you know, Christian Bale going over the top, you know, like he did. So to me, this is, this is perfect straight to the point. Um, and I knew Pattinson would do a good job on the voicing here. So also just the physicality too. You could tell he's gone through a lot of training. Um, so to me, yeah, this is Batman. Um, that's how I've always envisioned Batman's voice also sounding, uh, you know, in, on film, you know, from the graphic novels, I kind of felt like the animated series, which I, I really loved, uh, growing up as a kid, I just kind of felt like the, the voice that was used there was sometimes a bit over the top, you know, where, you know, I'm vengeance, I'm the knight, I'm Batman, you know, it's just a bit, you know, Saturday morning cartoon. And so by not going into the whole statement, which would have been cheesy as hell if he said it, for him just to, just to say, I'm vengeance, like, you know, I'm not here to, you know, patent my, my name and, and give an introduction that I'm Batman, like, I'm vengeance, you figure it out. And uh, just just full of rage here. So I, I just loved every every bit of this, uh, this scene. So cut back to the game members, you know, uh, one of them appears to be scared shitless. Uh, the rest of them are also very, very surprised. Um and uh, the rain coming down again, dripping off of Batman as he says, I'm vengeance, just perfection. Um, and, uh, you know, it also kind of reminds me a little bit from if we're talking Batman on film, you know, in, in the films, uh, I would say that it reminds me of the scene in Batman Begins where, you know, uh, we see a very pissed off Christian Bale as Batman, you know, in an alleyway on top of this really, really tall building holding a, a corrupt detective flask, you know, the guy that was heavily bearded after he was eating, you know, falafel and stuff, you know, in the rain, you know, he's he's several stories up in this dark alley being hung there by Batman in an interrogation scene. And you're asking, you know, you see Batman just shouting at him, you know, angrily like, you know, where are the other drugs going and swear to me and all that. It, it definitely kind of reminded me of, of that, but not in a very over the top way, just like, this is how I would expect Batman to respond, um, and really set the tone. So next scene, we see, uh, the early prototype of the Batmobile fire up his jet booster on the back. Um, we and and looking completely badass by the way the exhaust uh comes out you know that's located on the hood so you, we see the it's sending up these these little flashes of fire as the engine's getting revved just the batmobile just looks awesome um in my opinion this is definitely an early prototype batmobile uh that's kind of another thing i i kind of had problems with with the dark knight trilogy uh is that you know i understand that you know bruce has a his his own corporation and lucius fox is definitely kind of the guy at the head of the technology and and you know definitely knows that batman's bruce wayne they work together but it just seemed a bit too 
convenient right from the get go where he just goes in and introduces himself and, you know, he's back and, oh yeah, we have a perfectly, you know, uh, solidified Batmobile here. And that ends up being used in all three films. Like it was just a bit too convenient in my opinion, because, you know, from the, the, the onset of the Batman storyline, especially in the graphic novels, we see, uh, you know, Batman makes his own suit, Batman, um, you know, creates his own car and he has multiple iterations of the Batmobile uh, throughout his career. So it's not like he just has one and sticks with it. You know, it's just not the way it goes. So everything is an evolution. So whether it's his, his costume to his Batmobile to everything, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, learning and, and getting better. Um, so yeah, I, I love the look of this, this Batmobile. You can tell it's very handmade. You see the, the welding and bolting and stuff on the back, uh, you know, holding it all together. Um, it's also extremely armored as it crashes through a barrier of debris, uh, in pursuit of someone, uh, which we see in, in one of the other scenes, but, uh, you know, but then this flashes, uh, the trailer goes to the next scene where we see, uh, Batman is briefly shot. Uh, by a member of the Skull Gang. He's surrounded by the Skull Gang now after he took out their leader. And the, the bullet appears to um, hit him in his armored chest. Um, and again, you know, kind of calling back to what I already went over with the, the bat symbol and his chest being protected by, uh, you know, what appears to be uh, elements or, or parts of the gun that was used to kill his parents. Um, so, you know, the armor protects him. And then uh, quickly it flashes into the next scene where we see Batman ascending upwards in a, a grapple line and the police are, um, you know, chasing after him on multiple levels, you know, below where they're, you know, shooting at and, and chasing him. Uh, this definitely was kind of reminiscent of uh, uh, what we see in like uh, Batman Year One, uh, as well as what was also ripped from the pages of that and put in the Batman Begins um, you know, the scene with all the, the bats and everything. So, uh, I thought that was a very excellent, uh, use, uh, and, and definitely a really, really cool shot there. Um, next scene, we see the Batmobile in pursuit of, uh, the penguin driving his car at high speed. And the, the penguin basically yells, Whoa, this guy's crazy. Uh, and, uh, love that. And, uh, next scene we see Batman rising up after, you know, he beat the, the skull gang leader to a pulp. Uh, this shot gave me goosebumps cause you just see him just rising up and it's definitely something that, uh, you know, again, straight from the graphic novel pages and stuff. Um, uh, but you know, the gang is in focus and, uh, in the background and the Batman slightly out of focus in the foreground as he's rising up in the heavy downpour of rain, looking to take on the rest of them. Uh, they're frightened looking at each other. Uh, so definitely, uh, just filling them with fear, uh, which is the sort of the name of the game of what Batman does. Um, and now we see the frame of the Batman title animation with a smoky uh, red fog uh, seen through what kind of looks like a scratched up lens or surface or something like that. And uh, the bat symbol uh, comes in out of focus and slowly starts to get in focus, uh, which is, uh, you know, well, one thing I like about the lettering of the title animation here, too, is that the, um, you know, the, the bat symbol looks very similar to the style of what we see as, you know, on his chest as it swoops in, uh, you know, from the background to the foreground comes into focus. But I also love the the use of the second A in um, Batman as the letters start coming into focus and the design starts to come in clear as there's bat ears that kind of come down from the top and then 
as the A starts to get, um, you know, in center on the screen, it goes down and becomes part of the A. I think that's a brilliant uh, design theme right there. Um, really amazing work all these people have done on this film so far, and especially in that uh, title sequence. But I uh, also love the use of Nirvana's song, Something in the Way, as uh, here as, you know, throughout the trailer we hear elements of, uh, you know, uh, the, the score that is created in the, in the theme that, that Michael created um, and how it also reprises, you know, we, we hear that, you know, we hear Co- Kurt Cobain in the beginning and uh, you know, the, the very first um, you know, scene of the crime scene. And as it goes on from the press conference throughout the rest of the trailer, you know, we hear more of Michael Giacchino's uh, uh, score uh, mostly come center frame um, with, a little bit of, you know, Kurt Cobain in the background, but eventually it reprises back to Kurt Cobain singing the main chorus of the song, uh, you know, Something in the Way, uh, right when the uh, title sequence happens, which, I don't know, something about that, it, it just captures the essence that is Batman to me in terms of just, you know, like there, there's something in the way that he's he's doing these things. And um, I don't know, it was just something I, I thought it was like a brilliant matching of whoever thought it up. Also, more than likely, it was uh, the composer, Michael Giacchino, uh, to kind of uh, mix those two together. But but the you know Nirvana song really complements the main thematic score really, really well. So uh, just expert work done, too. And, and I think uh, I think everybody knows that song. And it uh, I it just really matched the tone of this film. So, uh, again, just excellent work. But uh, the the logo design here, where we see the bat symbol come in, that was actually you know as well as the title, uh, maybe not the the animation work, but the the drawing of it uh, was the logo design here was actually drawn by uh, artist Jim Lee. Uh, Jim Lee um, kind of rose up through the ranks in the '90s at, at DC. And he's actually the artist behind one of my favorite graphic novels of Batman of all time uh, called Batman Hush. Uh, came out in the early 2000s. Um, and what's also interesting here is in 2018, uh, Jim Lee was named uh, DC's creative uh, chief creative officer, the CCO. Um, and uh, so his design here, uh, again, as the Batman and Hush is one of my favorites of all time in the graphic novels. And I think his design here is excellent. Um, Last scene of the trailer, we see uh, Batman taking off his cow in the Batcave from earlier. Uh, and, uh, you know, we see the Batmobile in the background on a platform, uh, probably undergoing repairs or modifications. Uh, there's there's some water leaking from the top, you know, of the the cave or, or whatever this place is on the inside. Like I said, it could be an abandoned, uh, you know, subway station or train station. Um in front of Bruce, we see a, his mock-up workstation uh, looking at news footage on the monitor. It looks like it's uh, some sort of uh, news footage about, you know, the life of the mayor or something like that. So it's probably, you know, at the beginning of the film and probably right after uh, he arrived on the crime scene or, or, you know, maybe took on that gang. I'm not sure. Um, and then there's a voiceover that's played over the scene as we hear the Riddler go, uh, you're a part of this too. And then we hear Bruce or Batman reply to the voiceover, go, how am I part of this? And then we hear the Riddler reply, you'll see. So again, you know, I don't know if this is where the Riddler's already figured out the identity of who Batman is and that the Waynes are, you know, again, it, this may or may not connect to the Court of Owls, but if it does, that, that could be part of it of, you know, 
your your legacy, your your family was part of this corruption or something like that, and and the Riddler is just trying to you know shake things up. I don't know exactly what his in game or, or goal is here. So uh, really interesting. Uh, Bruce looks up coldly from the the news footage with his eye makeup still on, uh, which is amazing because in all the the Batman on film, you never see him with eye makeup on, and it's clear as day that he he has to wear eye makeup. I mean, the eye sockets in the cow are never small enough to only have his eyes. So, I mean, uh, one scene from uh, Batman Returns towards the end when he's you know taking off his mask to show. Uh, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, Selena Kyle, that he's Bruce Wayne, um, you know, it was really interesting because you see him take it off. And when he rips it off, you know, it before he rips it, you see he's got eye makeup on and then it cuts back to her and cuts back to him. And then he's standing there with the cow on without eye makeup on. So it looks ridiculous. Like it's, you know, like your your dad wearing the, the costume at Halloween or something, just something like totally stupid. And he rips, rips it off and has no eye makeup. And it was kind of the same thing with, you know, Christian Bale and some of the other ones. You just never see him with eye makeup on. And I don't know why that is. I, I think it's just they probably thought, uh, you know, well, we don't want the audience to think this guy wears makeup all the time. And I don't know. It, times were different back then. But, you know, again, it's like it's it's part of his, his costume. So I don't really see what the big deal is always was so kind of great to see that you know he's got it he definitely has a sort of a grunge look and and you see you know in Pattinson's face here you know as, as Bruce Wayne after he takes the cow off you see in his face you see his eyes uh, there's just nothing but like pain and anger and possible internal questioning of his, if he's really making a difference here uh, his hair is wet and grungy looking so you know definitely like Someone I would see, uh, again, from, from like the graphic novels, it's what I've seen time and again as Batman. He's not going to have perfectly combed hair like Ben Affleck did or uh, George Clooney or any of those other guys. You know, um, you know, we, we definitely saw some like crazy looks and stuff after uh, Christian Bale took off his cow. But, you know, again, it's just it, it just feels more realistic and not like, you know, everything's going to look perfect. And uh, I, I definitely like the realism approach here uh, that they took with it, as well as just I can tell that Robert Pattinson's just diving deep into this role and really getting into the psyche of Bruce Wayne and Batman. And uh, I don't know, he he could end up being one of the the most perfect Batman we've got on, on, on screen in terms of, you know, speaking to the character from the graphic novel. Um, so, or graphic novels, I should say. So, uh, I don't know. I'm really impressed here with what I'm seeing. And, and I knew that he would hit it out of the park. And this, again, this is only just 25% of the film has only been completed. So it's amazing that we got a teaser trailer like this. Uh, I'm just blown away um, that <laughs> this is already what it looks like. So I can't wait for the rest of the film. If this is what 25% of the movie looks like, um, <laughs> this is probably going to be like the best Batman film we've ever had on screen ever uh you know so uh i i try not to get my expectations too high but they're now extremely at an all-time high you know so uh this might even be uh, a batman that again i as i said at the beginning of this episode or this recording that you know i felt like chris nolan's batman was was the closest iteration of batman on screen that i would ever get to being my batman uh, I think this is going to overtake that 
easily. Um, and I love Chris Nolan's films. It's always going to hold a place in my heart, but I'm just amazed that we got this and, and, uh, I'm really happy and uh, as well, because the direction that was going with Ben Affleck and it was just over the top and ridiculous. And the fact that he kills people, I just, I was not happy with the direction, but I was like, well, at least I got my version, you know, but, uh, really happy with the the direction change here extremely happy with what matt reeves is doing i completely trust in him you know fully uh so anyways now we see the final frame of the teaser trailer in red font uh of the question mark zero question mark one so of course 2021 it's a clever riddler riddler way of saying 2021 but also uh you know we're hitting home that this is the riddler uh, to people who might not have picked up on the clues throughout the trailer. Um, and then we're left with the words in the final uh, shot here, you know, only in theaters, currently in production. So that was uh, basically my, my complete breakdown, in-depth analysis of the teaser trailer. It's probably longer than anyone else's uh, that I've heard online. Um, but again, I wanted to definitely... Um, you know, pay it as much detailed uh, information and knowledge as, as, you know, comes from my background of being a, a diehard Batman fan and graphic novel collector and, and enthusiast. So uh, really kind of combining sort of my look and insight with uh, what I saw in the teaser trailer. And I've, again, watched it so many times by now and have broke it down and paused each of the the different uh, scenes, you know, beat by beat. So uh, just wanted to provide again my detailed look at it, but post trailer thoughts, like I said, um, just totally blew me away. I, I think really, and and again, I'm I'm a bit, uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm I'm a giant Batman fan. I feel like this is one of the the greatest you know teaser trailers of all time. Um, but if you look at it cinematically, you know, going into it, you're gonna be wondering, you know, okay, well. What's this film going to be about? I want to know what does the suit look like? What is what is uh, Pattinson's voice as Batman sound like? Uh, what's the Riddler going to look like? What's Gordon going to look like? What's the tone of the film going to be like? What's the you know what's the theme of the score? What's you know the camera work? How's he going to look fighting as Batman? What's the Batmobile going to look like? You know, there's all these different things and elements that, as a fan in a teaser trailer, you want to you want to really kind of know and and have a teaser trailer capture the essence of everything that hopefully answers all of your questions at least most of them without giving away too much you know because i hate that with teaser trailers and trailers uh, all along where they just kind of show you the entire film and you know how it ends or that you know that you know this is the person causing this here's the conflict here's the battle and then here's a scene from the resolution like i hate when they do that and uh, it just gives away the whole story. So then when you're watching the film as a viewer, you're just like waiting for that scene and you go, OK, yeah, they just showed the beginning of the scene. So, yeah, this must be the end of the film. You know, I, I hate that. I'd rather be locked in experiencing this cinematic, you know, gloriousness on display of the storyline and not be thinking about like what time it is. Uh, if you do that to a viewer, that's you're just defeating the purpose of storytelling. So. You know, this teaser trailer, again, uh, you know, checked all the boxes that I had in terms of what I wanted to see, uh, you know, a Batman film on screen, especially one that's detective noir type of tone like Matt Reeves had been talking about. But it also checked boxes, everything that you want to see 
uh, in a, a typical, you know, generic teaser trailer anyways for a film. So I felt like it, it answered all that, but also just captivated, um, you know, the attention, uh, of, of just, uh, you know, people that are uninitiated to the story of Batman, maybe all they know is just the films. They don't know anything about the graphic novels, completely understand that, you know, maybe they didn't, they've never even seen the animated series. They don't even know much. Maybe Batman's not even their favorite character. So, you know, they might not know a whole lot of things other than Gotham city. He fights crime. He's a normal guy. So I feel like this teaser trailer, you know, engages and, and really speaks to, uh, not only the uninitiated or the the people who are casual fans or don't even know much about Batman to get them really heavily interested and grab their attention, but also those of us that are true diehard Batman fans or just comic book graphic novel fans. Because again, it, I I just I just have not seen a teaser trailer uh, be this effective and uh, really accomplish that task of getting everybody initiated and engaged and being like okay this is on my radar no matter what happens next year of all the movies that come out i'm definitely seeing this opening night or whatever and and hopefully again you know um by then we'll have a vaccine for COVID 19 and i know that uh the production uh did start up again over in liverpool for uh the the remaining shoot of the batman and they had to then halt uh, the production uh, because a member of the crew uh, contracted COVID-19. And uh, Variety has reported uh, through many inside sources that they have that it's actually Robert Pattinson who has COVID-19. So, um, you know, he's uh, recovering from that. And uh, once he's recovered, they'll remain production again. Um, but, he's you know, he's it's it's unfortunate that he's contracted it but you know the there's there's many others that have contracted it the rock and his family um you know Idris Elba so you know it's 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 a very serious thing that that's passed around i mean thankfully thank god the uh the death rate is you know yeah it's it's up there but again the um the percentage of of the you know i'm trying to grasp for words here but the you know you have like a 2.5 to 3% chance he could die from this, you know, compared to say something more serious. So, uh, you know, but still it's a serious thing to, uh, to contest with. So hopefully, uh, you know, by the beginning of, uh, 2021, hopefully within, I, I'm hoping it's sooner than that, but you know, I, I know that we're all looking forward to having a vaccine. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking it's going to be the beginning of 2021, probably by March, hopefully at the latest, but, uh, yeah, but I cannot wait to see this on the big screen in theaters. Um, and this is going to be, like I said, I, I'm going to call it right now. This is probably going to be the best Batman film that we have ever witnessed. And uh, this just has the makings of it just being a classic. And I can't wait to see you know more from it as well as whenever the next trailer drops for it, probably sometime next year, um, which uh, I will definitely provide another... Uh, breakdown analysis of that um, and I definitely trust Matt Reeves in that he's not going to give much of anything away but he's going to just give us more of a taste of really really wanting it more and more and uh, <laughs> it's crazy because it's uh, September 2020 right now and uh, we have yet another year until October 1st 2021 unless this gets delayed again um, for release but I cannot wait to see this film so uh, those are just my uh, my post 
trailer thoughts there, but, uh, uh, that really kind of concludes my analysis. Um, so thanks for hanging in there with me. I, I know that it was a lot to, uh, unpack, but, uh, hopefully you enjoyed my, uh, analysis of the Batman teaser trailer. Uh, but stay tuned. I'm going to continue to try and, you know, uh, record some more episodes here. I, I can't promise that it's going to be weekly, but every month I'm going to try and release for, you know, at least one or two, uh, episodes of, of me talking about some things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other things I want to, uh, discuss and, and kind of, uh, catch up on, uh, in terms of, you know, what I've been watching or paying attention to, um, whether they're TV series such as Perry Mason, I definitely want to give a review of that, uh, from HBO max, uh, to some other films I might've seen, uh, throughout that I've never seen before, uh, as well as some other news, uh, as well, you know, of, of things that are going on in the entertainment world, uh, music, uh, things of that nature. I, I have a lot that I want to catch up on and, uh, kind of share my thoughts with, uh, with you. And, uh, again, you know, eventually, uh, I might have a, a few guest hosts here and there. Um, so, uh, just uh, continue to stay tuned. Uh, thanks again for continuing to subscribe and your continuing uh, uh, listening of you know my thoughts and, and, and what we discuss here at Since Blue Hour Radio. Uh, again, we're going to miss uh, Mountain Carl, and I'll uh, I'll definitely share some more information with you or, or maybe a story, uh, sort of a fantastical story of his departure. Uh, but uh, but Mountain Carl is doing well with Mountain Dog and Mountain Girlfriend, so I wish him nothing but the best. Um, but if you're into sports or if you happen to be someone who tunes into The Bachelor, Bachelorette, any of those shows, uh, feel free to check out our other Sensibly Loud podcast. Um, they have definitely uh, been more uh, continuous with their episodes than I have. Uh, they they definitely have not taken the hiatus break that that I have done. But uh, you know, be be sure to check out. We have a baseball podcast, football, basketball, uh, and then of course uh, the girls over at Just Peachy. Uh, you know, discuss the Bachelor, Bachelorette, and um, you know other things that are going on in their lives. So feel free to check them out. We have an amazing group. Uh, in our Sensibly Loud family. Um, check us out on SensiblyLoud.com. You can you can find us on Sensibly Loud uh, Media on uh, Facebook and Sensibly Loud on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to hang around. I will definitely be back soon uh, with more to uh, come, more to discuss uh, regarding entertainment, movies, TV, music. Thanks again for listening. This is Brandon from Sensibly Loud Radio.